Good afternoon. So Andy has uh, just finished up uh, taking us through the Lord's Prayer over the past few weeks where Jesus instructs us on how to pray. And uh, over the next couple of weeks, uh, we're going to focus on a couple of other different aspects of prayer. This week being uh, us focusing in on how Jesus is praying for us. He's interceding on our behalf. And then next week, how the Holy Spirit is interceding for us. But let's start by praying together. Let's pray that God would uh, give us an understanding of His Word, that the Holy Spirit would uh, give us an understanding, and that this would bring glory to Jesus. Um, God, we come before you in the name of Jesus. And God, we need you to speak for us, to speak to us. God, to give us understanding. God, I, I pray that you would speak through me today and that, God, you would allow anything that doesn't come from you to fall on deaf ears and that anything that is from you, God, help us um, to apply it to our lives. God, help us to know you more deeply. Help us to worship you more in a more wonderful way through what we hear from your word. God, we ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen. When John Bunyan's book, The Pilgrim's Progress, uh, which you, if you haven't read it, it's, it's the, the greatest allegory ever written. In part one, he tells a story of Christian and his journey from the city of destruction and then all the blessings and the, and the discouragements that he faces along the way until he arrives at the celestial city, which is heaven. And it's supposed to represent the Christian life and, and how from the beginning where God saves us in Christ in our journey until He takes us home. But there's one point in Christian's journey that he meets a character by the name of Interpreter. And Interpreter, he invites Christian into his home and he begins to, to teach him these important truths that he needs to know for his journey of faith. And at one point in their conversation, Interpreter, he shows him a fire that is burning in front of a wall. And there was a man who was just standing there, you know, casting water onto the fire, trying to put it out. But instead of the fire going out, it just kept burning higher and hotter. And then Christian turns to interpreter and he asks him, what does this mean? And interpreter explains how the fire symbolizes the work of grace that God produces in our hearts through the gospel. So in a way, the fire represents the flame of our faith, our our, our love for Jesus and, and a passion to worship Him with our lives. And he goes on to explain that, that the one, the man who is throwing the water onto the fire, trying to put it out, he symbolizes Satan, who is always trying to extinguish that flame by casting the water of temptations and doubts and discouragements to extinguish it. And then interpreter wanted to show Christian well, why the fire not only kept burning, but why it kept burning higher and hotter. And so he walks Christian behind the wall, and they see another man. And, and this other man, he holds a container, this jar of oil, and he's continually just pouring the oil onto the fire so that even though the other man on the other side of the wall, he's, he's just casting water onto it, trying to put it out, the fire kept burning. It kept burning higher. It kept burning hotter. And then Christian asks, well, well, what does this mean? And an interpreter responds by saying, This is Christ, who continually, with the oil of His grace, maintains the work already begun in the heart. 
And so even though all he could initially see was the man who was pouring the water on the fire trying to extinguish the flame, there was also a man that he could not see in that moment who was secretly pouring the oil into the flames, keeping it burning higher and hotter. And don't we often feel this way? There are moments where we feel like the flame of our faith is going to be extinguished by the sufferings and the temptations and the struggles and the disappointments. And we wonder, well, how in the world are we going to continue to persevere? How are we going to keep going? And we forget that there is someone who is pouring the oil on the flame of our faith. Someone who is enabling us to be able to persevere. And that someone is Christ. And my hope today is that we will see together one of the ways that He is pouring the oil on the flame of our faith that is enabling us to be able to persevere. And that is through His priestly prayers that He offers up on our behalf before the Father. And so my main idea, if you want to write this down, if you're taking notes, main idea this, this afternoon is, is persevere because Jesus is praying for us. Persevere because Jesus is praying for us. And so if you have your Bibles, then please turn to Hebrews chapter 7. And as you turn there, I just want to give us a brief kind of overview of the letter of Hebrews. We don't know exactly who the author was, but he is likely writing to, to an audience that is predominantly Jewish. And we know this because it seems as if he assumes that they know the Old Testament really well. You know, all throughout the letter, he makes these references to the major stories and major characters that are found within the first five books of the Old Testament. And we know that the audience that he's preaching or he's writing to is suffering because in chapter 10 of Hebrews, he speaks of how they're being persecuted and they're threatened with an imprisonment. You know, they're being pressured to turn away from Christ and to turn back to their old ways of Judaism. And so all through the sermon or, or this letter, he's urging these people to continue persevering. And he's also at the same time warning them, don't turn back from Jesus. Don't turn back to your old ways because if you do, you're going to lose your only hope. You're turning away from your only hope. And he does this by showing how Jesus is greater and more superior than anyone or anything else. And that he is deserving of all of their trust and all of their worship. He spoke of how Jesus is greater than the angels and how Jesus is greater than the law. He's greater than Moses. And here in chapter 7, which is where we're at today, he makes this just spirit-empowered argument for why Jesus' priesthood is greater, it's more superior than the old Levitical priesthood. And you may be familiar with the Levitical priesthood within the Old Testament and why it was important. But maybe you're sitting here and you're wondering, like, what is the Levitical priesthood? You know, who were they? You know, and I just want to give you a basic understanding of who they were because he spends the first 22 verses in chapter 7 comparing how Jesus and his priesthood is greater than theirs. Which is, you know, we're going to be unable to talk about all 22 of those verses because we don't have enough time. And so, under the Old Covenant... Since man is sinful and cannot approach God because God is holy, God, he took the initiative of setting up a means by which the people could draw near to him. And he temporarily provided a covering for sin, their problem with sin. A way that he could dwell among his people and they could worship him. 
And so he set apart the tribe of Levi from among the, the 12 tribes of Israel. And from that tribe he chose Aaron, the brother of Moses, to be the first high priest, and his sons to be the other priest who would serve under his leadership as they represented the people before God. And they were the beginning of the Levitical priesthood. And all the Levitical priests who came after them had to come from the tribe of Levi. They had to come from the line of Aaron. And God gave them very specific instructions for how they were to lead the people in worship as they served as these mediators, these go-betweens between God and His people. And we see the importance of this role of being a mediator between God and man where they would intercede on behalf of the people most clearly through the role of the high priest on the Day of Atonement, which is what we read in our, our scripture reading. Anthony read it for us. The high priest, once a year, he would be responsible for entering into the most holy place within the tabernacle. And he would take the blood of animal sacrifices to atone for his own sins, but not only his own sins, but the sins of all the people. And the high priest, he'd have to do this year after year after year because it was only meant to be temporary. It was meant to point toward the need for a greater high priest who would offer up a greater sacrifice and who would offer a more superior intercession on our behalf. And in verses 23 through 25, we're going to focus in on another reason why his priesthood is greater. And so let's begin by reading verses 23 through 25. He writes in verse 23, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. And so our main idea again, it's, it's persevere because Jesus is praying for us. And we'll see that he enables us to do this because of two different reasons in this passage. And so these could be kind of the two sub-points. And one, his priesthood is permanent. And then two, his intercession brings about the completion of our salvation. So one, his priesthood is permanent. And two, his intercession brings about the completion of our salvation. So in verses 23 through 24, we'll see how his priesthood is permanent. In the first half of verse 23, he writes, The former priests were many in number. And so he's, he's referring to all the priests who had ever served within the Levitical priesthood. And just to give us an idea, the Jewish historian Josephus, he made a mention within his writings that from the time when the Levitical priesthood was instituted under the Old Covenant and until the time of the end of uh, temple worship after Jesus, there had been an, a total of 83 high priests. And in verse 23, the writer's not just talking about all the high priests, he's talking about all the other Levitical priests who had ever served under their leadership, you know, offering sacrifices and interceding on behalf of the people. There were many, but why? He writes in the second half of verse 23, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. You know, that's pretty simple, right? Aaron, the first high priest, he eventually had to be replaced by one of his sons because of death. Death took him. All the other priests who served under the leadership of the high priest had to be replaced because death took them as well. See, these priests, they weren't excused from the consequences that we all face. 
And so their priesthood was only temporary. But listen to verse 24 as, as he begins to contrast the greater priesthood of Jesus with the Levitical priesthood. He writes in verse 24, But he, Jesus, he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. And so, unlike the high priests who were prevented from continuing in their office, you know, interceding for the people because of, of death, Jesus died. He offered up himself on the cross as the perfect sacrifice, but death could not hold him back. Because God rose him from the grave three days later by the power of the Spirit. You know, he didn't become a high priest because he was from the line of Aaron within the tribe of Levi. Serve for a little while and then just to be replaced by another priest who would come after him. He became one on the basis of God making a promise that a greater high priest would come and that his priesthood would have no end. And the foundation of his priesthood is the power of his indestructible life, which is what he mentions back in verse 16. He holds his office of high priest forever because he lives forever. And so his priesthood is permanent. And we'll see in verse 25 that he holds this office forever. And because he holds this office forever, that his intercession brings about the completion of our salvation. So he writes in verse 25, Consequently, or because Jesus' priesthood is permanent, because of that, he is able to save to the uttermost, or completely, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And so because Jesus' priesthood is permanent, he has the power to save to the uttermost. Or I believe a better way to translate this here is completely which includes him saving us forever, for sure. But the original language here, it means much more than that. Barnes, in his commentary, he puts it well by writing, this does not simply mean forever, but that he has the power to save them so that their salvation shall be complete. He does not abandon the work midway. He does not begin a work which he is unable to finish. He can aid us as long as we need anything done for our salvation. He can save all who will entrust their salvation to his hands. And so Jesus, he, he changes our standing before God as our high priest by taking on our sin and offering up himself as the perfect sacrifice, right? It's the greater, of the, the greater picture of the, the Day of Atonement, right? Sac one sacrifice, done. The work of the cross, it's finished. No more need for any other sacrifices. But after he rose again, he ascended into heaven. He entered into the presence of the Father on our behalf. And the author of Hebrews, he writes about this in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24. For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. And he entered into heaven, and, and as the high priest of a greater covenant, and on the basis of his finished work on the cross. And usually when we speak of salvation, we speak of the finished work of the cross, right? Because it's at the core of the gospel. But his work as our high priest is not finished. And even though we're saved, he is also bringing our salvation to a completion through his role as our high priest. 
He saved us from the penalty of sin, but right now He is saving us from the power of sin through His priestly work. He's sanctifying us. He's making us more like Himself. And Jesus does this for anyone who draws near to God through Him. But how does He do this? Well, in the second half of verse 25, it says, because He always lives to make intercession for them. So through His his never-ending work of praying on our behalf, the completion of our salvation is in some way dependent upon His present priestly work of interceding for us. And so if we're saved through the finished work of the cross, then how does His ongoing work of praying for us, interceding for us, bring about the completion of our salvation? What is He praying for us that accomplishes this? What's He praying to the Father on our behalf? Well, the author of Hebrews, he, he doesn't explicitly say how Jesus is praying here within this passage. But I believe that there are other passages that give us the specifics. And I believe that there are at least two ways that He is praying or He's interceding for us. The first is, He is our advocate. He's our advocate. You know, an advocate is, is someone who represents, you know, speaks on our behalf, pleads our case before a judge. You know, so in, in, in our court system, we have advocates, right? Known as lawyers, who speak on our behalf before a judge. And so if we're accused of a crime, then he or she speaks on our behalf. She offers up counsel. She makes a case for our innocence. Well, we have an even, even greater advocate who is Christ our high priest, who pleads our case before the Father. In 1 John 2, 9, John writes, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You know, Stephen Wellham writes, Jesus is our advocate when God first accepts us into his family as his children, and he remains our advocate forever. As his followers, we still sin, but when we do, we are commanded to confess that sin to God. Confession is an agreement with God about how bad sin is. We stand guilty before him with no argument and no justification of our own. Our advocate, Jesus, steps before the judge, and together they agree that because we are in Christ, no further punishment is necessary. Jesus has already made sufficient payment to redeem us. And so Jesus, our high priest, forever pleads our forgiveness before the Father on the basis of His finished work on the cross. His sufficient sacrifice once and for all that made payment, that atoned for our sins. But we quickly forget this, don't we? You know, Satan, he's, he's always prowling around like a roaring lion. He's trying to do the exact opposite of what Jesus, our high priest, is doing. He's always trying to, to, to accuse us. He's the father of lies. He's trying to remind us of, of our unworthiness to be a part of God's family. He's trying to, to make us doubt God's love for us. I mean, how many times, maybe even this week, have we given in to temptation to sin, and instead of drawing near through Christ, our high priest, and confessing our sin through Him, sin before Him, we instead dwell on how we have sinned and failed, rather than looking at Him, looking to Him. And what happens is, is that Satan tries to, to use many of those moments as opportunities to bring accusations against us, 
and accuse us before the Father. Remember, he's the one mentioned in, in the story of Christian's encounter with Interpreter. The one who's tossing water onto the fire. He's trying his hardest to put the flame out. He attempts to do anything that he can to choke out our faith. And sometimes it's not even Satan that's doing this, but sometimes we can be our own worst accusers. We become the ones who are tossing the water on the flame of our faith. I'm convinced that we speak to ourselves more than anyone else. And often we preach lies to ourselves. And we believe those lies and we forget the truth. And it's in those moments that we have sinned, brothers and sisters, that we need to draw near through Jesus, our high priest, by confessing our sin to him and be reminded that we are loved no less and we're loved no more because we are loved to the fullest in Christ who has clothed us in his righteousness. The one who will always be our advocate before the Father because his priesthood is forever. He's interceding as our advocate forever. You know, Paul writes in, in Romans 8, verses 33 through 34, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And so there is no charge that, that Satan or anyone else can bring against us because we have Christ as our advocate who's pleading our case. And if we're in Christ and those accusations, they amount to nothing because His death was sufficient to pay the penalty for our sins. And our salvation is as secure as His priesthood is permanent. And so one of the ways that Jesus prays for us is through being our advocate. And some would say that this is the, the only way that Jesus prays for us. But I believe that his prayers for us involve much more than this. And so he prays for us as our advocate. But secondly, he's, he's also praying that our salvation would be brought to a completion. And this is what I believe the author of Hebrews is hinting at when he says that he is able, or he has the power to save completely through his intercession. That he's not just our advocate before the Father, but he is also praying to the Father in regards to every aspect of our salvation. And that we would persevere and that our faith would not fail. And his prayers, which do not go unanswered as our high priest, they're enabling us to be able to persevere. You know, the completion of our salvation is dependent upon him praying on our behalf. And I believe that we can see examples of how he is praying for us in these ways now by looking at how he prayed for his disciples during his earthly ministry. You know, one example is uh, right before Jesus was betrayed, Simon Peter was the one who said you know, he would follow Jesus until the end, right? That, that I'll die for you, Jesus. But if you remember in Luke chapter 22... Jesus says to Peter before his betrayal, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. 
And so Jesus knew that Peter is going to deny him. But he also prays that, that Peter's faith would not fail. And it did not. You know, Satan was trying to pour the water on the flame of Peter's faith. But Jesus was pouring the oil on that fire. Another example is John 17, which is what we refer to as Jesus' high priestly prayer. We read it in the call to worship. Within that chapter, we see how he's praying for his disciples and in all the, the followers who would come after them. He prays in verse 11 that the Father would keep all believers so that Jesus would not lose one of us. In verse 15, that all of us would be kept from the evil one, Satan. In verse 17, for the sanctification of all believers or our, our growth in holiness. In verse 21, that we may all grow in oneness with each other, that in Christ we're one with each other and that we continue to grow in that. And so Jesus was already praying for His disciples when He was here on earth. And He's praying for all of us who are His right now in regards to every aspect of our salvation. And one of the major reasons why we experience growth in our sanctification you know, that we continue to fight sin, to fight temptation, that we continue to grow in oneness with each other, and that our faith doesn't just end in utter failure and ruin, is because Jesus is praying for us. He's interceding for us right now. He's going to be praying for us tomorrow and the next day and the next day, forever. And in those moments when we feel like the flame of our faith is going to die out, and when we're doubting and we're questioning whether we will be able to persevere in the faith, and we're tempted, like those Jews that he's writing to were, to turn back to our old ways, we need to continue drawing near through him. And remember that he's enabling us to persevere through his prayers on our behalf. Persevere. And he who began a, a good work in you, he will bring it to a completion. And if you feel that way right now, then I want you to know that I've been right where you are. I've been in those moments where you feel like you just can't continue. What's keeping me continuing right now? Why is my faith not failing? Well, I want you to be encouraged that if you are in Christ, he is praying that your faith will not fail, that the Father would keep you, and that whatever suffering you're going through right now, that He would use that to sanctify you, to make, him, make you more like Himself. So keep persevering. Keep drawing near through Christ. He will not let that flame burn out, no matter how much water is being tossed on it, right? Jesus is the man behind the wall who's pouring oil on the flames, causing it to burn higher and hotter, even while it seems like the flames are being drenched in water. You know, maybe one of us here is questioning whether or not He is your high priest at all. You know, do you know that Christ is your high priest? Is He interceding for you right now? You know, do you have an advocate with the Father? And if not, then what's keeping you back from, from initially drawing near through Christ to receive salvation? Now you're weighing out whether or not it's worth it. And I, I'll tell you that it's difficult and it's and it's a road of suffering, but it's well worth it. Just like the author of Hebrews makes the point over and over throughout his letter, Jesus is greater. 
He's more superior than anything or anyone else. And He's deserving of all of our trust and all of our worship. And so I would encourage you to draw near through Him initially for salvation. But brothers and sisters, we continue to persevere because Jesus, our high priest, is praying for us. And He's enabling us to persevere because His priesthood is permanent. And His intercession is bringing about the completion of our salvation. And so keep trusting in the one who keeps you trusting. Let's pray. God, we come before you and God, we express to you that we are so thankful that God, you, we have a great and awesome and superior high priest who isn't temporary and who didn't make a, a temporary sacrifice and a temporary covering for sin. But Jesus, you offered up yourself as our great high priest. And Jesus, you made payment for sin once and for all. You finished your work on the cross. But Jesus, we're thankful that you continue your work as our high priest at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, praying for us as our advocate, praying that our salvation will be brought to a completion. And Lord, we're, we're thankful and we're, we're confident that that will take place, that you who began a good work will bring it to completion. God, because your priesthood is permanent, it's forever. And your prayers on our behalf do not go unanswered. Lord, we are thankful. Help us to trust in you. Even in difficult times, I pray that you'd help us to trust in you and to remember and to look to you and remember that you are our advocate and that you are interceding for us. Lord, we ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen.